And this is all attributed to happening 5,000 years ago, okay? And the hill there is Govardhan Hill, he's lifting it. So there's an entire story in, uh, in the Puranas, and so many stories in the classical, you know, Vedic literature, the Puranic literature, so many things about that, describing different ages and so on. And of course, too, if, you, if you're Christian, then you believe there was uh, three wise men coming from the east on camels, I guess, following a moving star, and where a baby was being born of a virgin. <laughs> so there's, you know, so many uh, kind of super supernatural things that are going on, you know. But on the other hand, if we look at it, one could, one could also say that atomic bombs and birth control pills are, are supernatural, <laughs> supernatural. Yeah, uh, and and so it's a whole whole very very I think pertinent issue, you know, because we're trying to trying to figure out what's going on. And I, I'm sure I, mean, I know everybody in the audience is suffering uh, mental, physical, you know, social disturbances or, or challenges, you know, and of course the the big one is death. You know, de- death. There's no cigarettes. There's no coffee. You know, there's no air. Okay. And after that, they, they, they erase your face and there's no more face. Yeah. So we're all being pushed by these things you know, to try and uh, solve these problems to become free from distress. And also, too, we have so many things that inspire us when we come in contact with different historical things or heroic things or poetry. We're inspired to think, well, there must be something better than this. But especially coming in contact with, with people who have a some it appears they have some knowledge about this. Some people from Christianity, from Islam, from Buddhism, from from Confucius, you know. Uh, in India, of course, there's so many traditions of mysticism, of yoga, and of course here is very very monotheistic tradition. You know? On the other hand, we people are taking shelter of science, and they think, oh, science has done so many good things, and uh, we we should do that. And of course, the science is basically a government promoted. Uh, worldview, you know, and so this is one of our our movement, uh, the ISKCON, the current Hare Krishna movement, which is coming from a very long tradition. But within the current times, uh, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami, our our founder Acharya, and the you know, coming in disciplic succession before him, other people, different times. It's a very old movement, you know, trying to do good for everybody, you know, for a long time, and we're very potent. Uh, philosophical and, and physical sciences, everything. And Indian, tradition, Indian tradition is full of you know, knowledge about physical reality and medicine, uh, music, architecture, uh, weapons, political science, all these things. You know? So A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami uh, is one of his very prominent disciples, Tamal Krishnamars. He told me, he told me, he said one time, Prabhupada said over and over again for his entire last year, scientific preaching is my number one preaching program. Preaching, teaching, communicating. That we're offering, that we understand basic scientific principles. We even understand some different detailed areas. Quite a few people are are joining ISKCON who are, you know, professionals, you know, in different areas, you know. And so, and uh, and then beyond that general principles, that's what we, we we offer. That we have actually a broader, a broader perspective that puts, you know, the philosophy of nature, science, in perspective, and so on, and can allow it to to actually achieve, achieve a lot more than it's achieving now. So these these things stimulate us because right now in our every year we have this annual festival, like Christians have have Christmas, and 
and uh, what else? They had Black Friday, <laughs> Crucifixion of Christ, Easter, you know, and then Ramadan, different festivals, which are anniversary festivals commemorating different events and to make us conscious of, of these things and aware of how uh, 5,000 years ago and then uh, uh, coming down to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and different very great powerful personalities who've accomplished things that will give us a lot of uh, faith and motivation to truly try out seriously to, to follow this process and see what the result is there. You know, because as George Harrison said, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. <laughs> okay. So that's what we're talking about a little bit tonight. Of course, it's a very big topic, but it's this week we've been having a whole festival. Last Sunday was the uh, anniversary of Krishna lifting Govardhan Hill. I think it was Sunday, but Saturday, yeah. And uh, to protect all the inhabitants of Vrindavan because the king of heaven, Indra, very much like Zeus, you know, was becoming angry because they, they weren't worshiping him. They were worshiping God, uh, God above, above the angels, above the demigods. So for a moment he became angry and he was sending torrents of rain, big blocks of ice, and all the inhabitants of Vrindavan, very simple abilities people, but full of the most deep love and subtle artistic ability, you know, uh, uh, for Krishna. Uh, we're, we're distressed. And then Krishna lifted up, Govardhan Hill. It was like a, you know, complete unit, like a big, big, big stone rock. And he said, come under here. So everybody came under, and then by his mystical powers, everything was very nice, and nobody was feeling any fatigue or anything else, and just singing and dancing or whatever, and seeing Krishna, so beautiful, you know, um, for one week. So I guess we're in, in like the, uh, the fifth day or something, the sixth day, because of, 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 it was one week, and finally Indra gave up. You know? So we're asking some considerations about this. On the right-hand side, we have uh, uh, Albert Einstein with his afro, <laughs> that Sai Baba haircut. And the left, and we have the uh, other side, you know. And Einstein, of course, he had his philosophical perspective. He came out of a Jewish tradition. So I would say he had some Jew regular Jewish uh, perspective on what is life and what is reality, you know, and transcendence. So let's go to the next slide, Master. Yeah. Okay. So one thing is very, very fundamental. And this is fundamental to, to all over the place. Everybody, everybody, all cultures, pretty much we're all going to, whatever we do, we're going to come across time, uh, tiempo. You know, in different cultures, it's almost something which is uh, inexplicable. You know? But it's very different. It's very interesting. If you do cross-cultural views of time, you'll find some very interesting different views of life. And by cultures that go on existing, you know, feed themselves, shelter themselves. They have um, maybe even more happiness than we're deriving by this industrialization from our Euro European, European idea, you know, Greco, Greco European idea. You know? So time, uh, the way we look at it from the, from the uh, Western point of view, the scientific point of view, it's a line. It has no branches. Okay. It goes one direction. <laughs> All the steps are just the same size. Okay. And then down below, we put a, some clicks out of the uh, German army and then we're marching along here, you know. Uh, and that, that's it. E.T. Hall, sociologist and cultural anthropologist, one of my mentors, and a very nice person, very, very, you know, great from the University of uh, Evanston. You know? Grew up in, with the Hopi Indians in New Mexico. But his point of view on time, cross-cultural studies of time and everything, is that United States, which is 
you know, Raymer's promoting its ideas all over the world. It's, but but it's very much predominated by Northern and German consciousness. Consciousness. We're not being the Hopi Indians go on with their view, which is quite different, you know, than the worldview of the uh, Northern Germans. And also the view of time between the Germans and then the British. British was different. You know, one view was that time is something we create uh, to, to you know when we're looking at nature, and the other one was that no, it's intrinsically there. So they're right away. Time is a very subtle thing if we're going to understand reality. You know? But definitely our view in the West is very very this very simplistic, very mechanistic, very German. One of my friends, Chakravarti Das, he said he was from Germany. And he raised, he said. Hanuman Swami, you have to understand that for Germans, there are two colors, black and white, and sometimes red. Okay, go out and look and see how many cars are black, white, or red. So many black, so many white, so many red. But then America, we add something else. We do actually do. We add gray. Yes. So eliminate all the black, white, and for America, gray, you know, cars and a few red ones. You see, it's, all, it's yeah, you can see we're predominated by this idea of, you know, no, no, embracing subtleties and colors and all these kind of things so much. You know, when it comes down to the hard line. You know, okay, okay, next slide. Yeah, that's the. Uh, okay, now then we look at the other side. You know, the Puranic side, our side, this great tradition, wonderful culture. You know. Which you know we we dealing with the, okay yeah going yeah. so on the right on the top in the corner here we have a picture of a very very famous scene of Sukadev Goswami instructing Maharaj Pariksit five thousand years ago at the end of the age of Brahmins the third age now we're in the fourth age yeah and so that's where our, our information is coming from they're coming down to uh, Guru Guru Parampara and and the basic principle is that time is the external manifestation of the super soul. Paramatma, intuition, insight, the Holy Spirit, you know, artists, gamblers, you know, they, they all, they, they, they show it. Some people, professional gamblers, and they have this deal with Lady Luck, you know, and they, they got that feeling they know. And, you know, so somebody knows if I put every penny I got on the next roll of the dice, I'm going to win. I got that feeling. There's just no way about it. But, but I've got to, I've got to like honor her and just do it. And they win. They win maybe like, you know, $5,000 or $2,000, you know. But then they know, okay, here's my deal with Lady Luck. i got to take half that money and go out and spend it on poor people. Give free free bottles of beer, you know, free free pizzas, hamburgers. Yeah, hey, fella, you know. Otherwise, she won't be happy with me. So they have a certain ethics and morality about, you know, dealing with the world and higher forces. But they, when you see them talk with them, they they. they, they there's something there, you know, professional gamblers, you know, winning living. And then you have psychologists who are doing psychotherapy, even in science, intuition plays a big part of science. You can look it up there, intuition, insight, and how that's how you get these, you know, get the, the flash of, of uh, understanding, which it takes several days actually to bring down into rational linear, linear description like that. So this super soul, Paramatma in Sanskrit is there. It's, it's, a, it's the hand of God. You know, we don't see God personally having, you know, singing with him, dancing with him, apologizing, you know. Um, but we see his hand in things, you know. So internally, we look internally, we see that that guidance, that, that which is taking us to him as a person, showing us how to get free from our all the things we've done, you know. 
But externally, we look and we see time. You know, it's a big discussion, but there are many, many, very, very nice illuminating perspectives from this and from Western culture and everything else. So time is, you know, is, and we analyze by mechanistic systems and the what do you call it? In the uh, sciences, based to a large degree, the way we use it at least on Euclidean geometry, points, lines. And so we see time as developed in that same way. You know? um, but also, not only is time the, the hand of God in things, you know, and very regular, but it's moving in cycles. Our heart is going in cycles, our breathing is going in cycles, you know, uh, you know our, our, our stomach, the days, the years, you know. And so, so why not the, the millennia? We know that the, you know, these things go on in terms of our relationship with the stars and sidereal time. The North Pole is actually moving over maybe a 14,000-year pace. You know? So everywhere we see cycles. So the Vedas are saying that there is now this four ages, the age of gold, the age of silver, the age of bronze, and the age of iron. <laughs> And we've gone into this fourth age, and it's the smallest. Everybody's mean, selfish, cruel. People are short-lived, only live about 100 years and so on. Previous age, they live to be 1,000 years. And the age of gold, which is three-quarters of all this, but the, fruit, the, the, the fruits and the, everything is in abundance, just naturally coming. In the second age, the age of silver, which is maybe, uh, again, uh, how long is it now? Three-quarters, one-half of the whole thing. Something like that. 70%. 40%, ah, whatever it is, 60%, 40%, yeah, 20%. So 40% of it is like that age. Okay, and, and then you've got to plant, but you get back at more in abundance. In the previous age, the age of the silver, you plant, and you only get back what you planted. In this age, you plant, you don't even get back fully what you planted like that. So it's for people who want to be selfish, want to deny God, want to do everything like that, but it lasts for 10%, let these guys have their experience, they're not going to learn any, any other way. So the mother lets the kids go ahead and just do whatever they want to do in the play, the play yard. And after some time, some of them come in and she said, what did you learn? They say, yeah, you got to share your toys. Yeah. So these cycles are there. Describing these things, time cycles. You know? uh, and for example, we can see this, for example, in, in New York. For New York in the winter, there's no fruits, no flowers, no boys and girls playing, no dogs chasing you know, frisbees. You know, you can't even see people. They're covered over with cloth. The sky is gray you know, in, in their cars. And so some cockroach born during this time would, just, would, would tell everybody it's always like this. You know, but some other cockroaches might say, but look here, there are hieroglyphics from, from previous cockroaches. Sumerian uh, cuneiforms. No, no. Yeah. So we're caught in this thing. But no, there was there were previous ages. You know, and these things are going on with a broader perspective, you know. And another example is that uh, these things, so these things described in the Puranas, lifting Govardhan Hill, they occurred during the Dwarpara Yuga, when things were bigger. I think people were living to be a thousand years, you know, and they had more subtle potencies. And so, so Krishna doing these things wasn't all that exaggerated compared to what other people could do. But taken all together, yes, it was miraculous, you know. Yeah. Um, for another thing is, for example, if you take a very, very nice uh, apple and leave it in the desert in Arizona and come back after, you know, one month, your apple will be gone. Big red rosy apple. You'll find a black little hard rock <laughs> and parts in the surface that were fathered together will have been pulled together in the wrinkles. And OK, this so this Kali Yuga 
you know, these pastimes of lifting these things and everything else. We're, we're in the season where everything is a hard little rock. Uh, but before it wasn't like that. Uh, so you start look. Okay, so let's look at the uh, evidence from the Bible, for example. You have Genesis chapter 5. It describes, thus, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. And his son or something was Seth, who lived to be 912, Enosh 905, Kenan 910, Mahalalel, it sounds like a Vedic name, Kenan, 895, Jared, these all sound like Vedic names, Sanskrit names, 962, Enoch 365, something happened to him. I think God took him right up. It doesn't say he died, but it said that God took him up. You know? And Methuselah, who's the most famous, he lived the longest, 969 years. And so you see these are very much bouncing right off of exactly what the Vedas are saying, that the previous age, people lived to be 1,000 years. So we, we're, we're not, we, we, uh, uh, we, oh boy, we feel there may, may, many problems maybe with accepting the Bible and biblical literature and this Judeo-Christian tradition exactly as it is, that it needs some, some illumination from uh, some of the Vedic literatures. But you'll find also within the Vedas things that are also just as, you know, adjusted and, and not passed down accurately. But at least the indication is there that these different wisdom traditions are passing down and saying that, yeah, there was a previous age, people were living to be a thousand years and so on. Next slide. Okay. Now here's going to cover a short biography of ourselves because we're, we're making these statements here and we're trying to present ourselves as a little bit of a research authority. So on the left is a picture of us there, Hanuma Prashak Swami. And the right there's a picture of us as Professor H.H. H. Robinson. <laughs> and that's one symposium we did on uh, Bharatiya Sanskriti. Uh, it was with uh, the, the culture, culture of classical India. It went on for one week. We had this guy we're talking to right there as well, a very, very big economist there. And he was just enthralled with the, with the Vedic economics and descriptions like that and stuff. You can see he's very happy. You know? So for economists, there's just a wealth, wealth. The British were appreciating this in many ways, but then they decided, well, we want to cover all this. We don't want to, you know. So this, so, so much was covered, consciously covered by efforts of the, of the, of the, um, the British and in South America, where we go, we spend a lot of time down there. We see also the Spanish culture, everything else. But still, there are many indigenous cultures. And the programs we're doing currently, everything else, they're still there. And they have a lot of their particular tradition intact, enough where there's a good resource to take stuff from it. So summary, again, we were born 1948 on Guam. So we can see that we were natives of Guam. <laughs> Although our mother was from Kansas and our father was from Mississippi. But all pioneers, it's something I've discovered. My mother's family pioneered all the way to Arizona. You know, some of the big, were the founders of Prescott, Arizona. Uh, my father's side, my, grand, my paternal grandfather was an Austrian immigrant. And so I'm seeing at 72 years old, hey, that's why I, I am the way I am. I'm always like looking for new stuff. I don't like hanging around and you know, building solid stuff and improving. I, I, I like the, the, the mental adventure, the new stuff. You know? Okay, so then we uh, went into finally studied quantum mechanics at UC Berkeley. We did neurosurgery on rats and dogs when we were at uh, the Davis campus. And then finally we graduated first place in psychology, 1970, from the University of California with minor studies in biology and electrical engineering. So we did a real solid investigation of physical sciences, life sciences, and then finally uh, mental sciences. 
which led us right on to the Northwestern University for doctoral studies, Northwestern University. But by then, we were really convinced. And our mentor, President of the American Psychological Association, Don Campbell, he confirmed it and said, yeah, he said, if you have any, any manly qualities, manly qualities, you'll cut the apron strings and get out there and see what's going on. And it was because I'd been supported by my parents and then by, you know, grants from the university, if I would accept their point of view. So somehow or other, I was going ahead and got investigated a lot of stuff and then finally met Prabhupada and was initiated in 74. In 84, we uh, then started working with, with the, the, the science aspect of ISKCON. There are one million people now in ISKCON, formerly in ISKCON, what to speak of, you know, friends, supporters, like that. Um, and then we met Bhakti Sudhamadar Maharaj, his picture is on the right there, and he was initiated, um, Dr. T.D. Singh, and he was head of the Bhakti Vedanta Institute, which was specifically working in this area of science and religion. And you can see in the podium, we had a big uh, this, uh, symposium uh, con- conference, Study of Consciousness Within Science, First International Conference, February 17th through 18th, 1990. And that was in San Francisco, then it later after that went to uh, India. I think that was just in San Francisco. I mean, uh, three Nobel three laureates who was it? Sir John Eccles, uh, George Wald, who else? And, and Charles Towns, I think he also was there, yeah. And then uh, the other one, ECGC, GC Suderstam was Nobel laureate candidate several times. So it's very, very powerful discussion. It was really the first hard academic uh, conference. And some universities later challenged it, but then they accepted what happened. They accepted, okay, yeah, you're right. It was a solid, bona fide uh, discussion. It was trying to deal with this, make a bridge between these resources of science, many, many good things, but it lacks perspective. That's what we're saying. You know? And these pers- uh, perspectives take us to the area where we can start to get these very you know, mystical experiences and, and which are useful in serving, serving, serving self-realization. It can be put on a, on a rational scientific basis like that. Next slide. Yeah. Next slide. Okay. So just to one thing again, because I'm skeptical. Okay. And on the way, on the side of like the scientific point of view, uh, we have, for example, like carbon dating, you know, uh, and just recently in uh, Nature, which of course you know is maybe the, one of the hardest of all scientific journals in the world, it's a journal of the American Association for the Advancement of Science. A recent article said, um, radiocarbon dating, a key tool used for de- determining the age of prehistoric samples, is about to get a major update, which means that before it wasn't true. For the first time in seven years, okay, this is seven years, you know, the technique is due to be recalibrated using a slew. Now, there's a very scientific word, a slew of new data from around the world. The results could have implications for the estimated ages of many finds, such as Siberia's oldest, oldest modern human fossils, which, which according to the latest calibrations are 1,000 years younger than previous thought. So this is one, of course, one of the hardest tools to establish their time view, and of course, it's dependent upon their time view also. If you start investigating it, which you, I'm getting a little summary here, um, there are many, 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 many things that are, you know, are, are, are up, up to up to uh, criticism, you know, and so on. 
So this is just to look at, again, the scientific point of view and putting it all in proportion and using it properly, you know, rational empiricism, then it's wonderful. But without a broader perspective, you know, and without also different ways of doing science, we've adopted one way, which is very Northern German, but other ways like ecology, ecology was not accepted as a science you know, in the beginning, but then actually they began to realize, okay, it's not like they were trying to make everything into physics. Yeah, that was the dominant idea, but now it's loosening up. The other sciences are developing in their own right. Science, physics is still very much the king, you know, but now other things are being allowed to develop, which also give results, which we need, you know, like ecology. So contrasting again, of course, we have the Krishna, you know, next page. And, and this is there in the way of knowing details. So if we finish off here, this is Bhagavad Gita. Raja Vidya, Raja Guyam, Pabitam, Idam Uttamam, Pratyakshavagamam, Dharmyam, Susukam, Kartum, Avyayam. This knowledge, why is the K there? I know. This knowledge is the king of education, the most secret of all secrets. It is the purest knowledge because it gives direct perception of the self by realization. It is the perfection of religion or the perfection of science. It is everlasting and it is joyfully performed. So here are many things which are not in science. Joy, you know, uh, direct perception of the individual. Who who is the scientist? Who is the unmoved mover? Who is the unknown knower? You know, so many fundamental principles in in science which are not dealt with very, very practically in terms of philosophy. And Nobel laureates and people like that, what we deal with, they many times have very philosophical considerations about this. And so then they're attracted to this Asia, Vedic you know, perspective we're presenting. So it's a very good market. Well, why aren't so many people joining you? Because it's a prison. <laughs> That's why. That's one of the basic principles. You know? This is a madhouse, a prison, a funny farm. Yeah, that's one of the basic principles. Yeah. And so everybody is saying that this is not our home. It's a, very, it's a little prison house in the city or a madhouse, and most people are cured, healthy, and get out and go back. So another, another, another thesis to consider, which science doesn't really deal with. Yeah. So that's kind of our point here, that finally we, we have this uh, knowledge coming from sages, saints, and, and as being presented directly from the creator of the universe himself, you know, okay. And describing to us how the bigger world is, how the world is over a larger period of time, larger period of space, and how it fits into a, a perspective of being a part of the whole, whole healthy, healthy world. Last slide, master. Here it comes. Okay. So here we have, we have on the top left, Shalasi Bhaktivedanta Swai Sopalpa. And here's what he's showing. In his left hand, he has chanting on beads. Here's our whole laboratory. It makes it very simple. You stimulate your fingers, so many nerves. You stimulate your mouth by chanting, so many nerves. If you're a psychologist, you know the hom homunculus. So it becomes a very, very potent, natural way to catch your mind but through the cerebrum, cerebellum, cerebellum, cerebral cortex. Yeah. And... And then you can actually begin to investigate, am I, am I these senses? Am I these sense objects? No. 
you can't be a scientist. Well, you actually, anyway, okay, let's say I'm not, I, I agree, with, at least at the present moment, I'm not acting as the sense objects. I'm not acting as the senses. I'm using them. Okay. And now I am, am I the perspective, the attitude, the, the intuition? And that's where science kind of leaves off. We accept it, they talk about it. But if we see people like Einstein's closest friend, I got his name for a moment, he'll come back. Sir Arthur Eddington, that there's no real clear integrated way for science to deal with intuition insight. We play things like improvisational theater, they have techniques which work. And it allows you to come to considering the persona, the attitude with which I'm approaching, you know, the knowledge, the understanding. Yeah. And there are the books, you know, there's so many books within our ESCON tradition, what to speak of others that are available. You know, the problem by giving us very clearly, very, very self-realized, you know, pure, pure philosopher, pure scientist, you know, yogi. Yeah. So, so, and then he, of course, we're representing Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, his big pictures there 500 years ago. What was it like then? The world was very different in India, especially, you know, some of the intense you know, psychological uh, perspectives, attitudes, and so many intense you know, systems of manipulating material energy. Up on the right, we have a picture there about these Damana Mars again, Dr. T.D. Singh. And, and so much, he, he, he was a, had, a, had, a, had a, a PhD in physical organic chemistry from the University of California Irvine. And so he was no lightweight in terms of actual physical knowledge. And he, and he took his time integrating with Prabhupada, but he also came from the tradition. You know? And so he was a very, very nice bridge to ask questions to Prabhupada, to give answers, uh, and to, to, to be able to put this perspective there. In the lower right, then, we have our, our friend there, one of our alter egos. The, 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 that's all, folks. So it's a little presentation for tonight. Okay. So thank you very much. So I think now I'll return control of our program to Lord Winston. Hare Krishna, thank you so much, Maharaj, uh, for a great class. Um, we'd like to open the floor for questions. If, if anyone has any, uh, feel free to just uh, unmute your mic and, and ask Maharaj your question. Harumat, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. Hi, this is Jonathan. I this is you. Jonathan Dom here. Good day. Okay, this is Hanuman Prashadwami here. Haribo, 10-4. Awesome. Uh, thank you very much for the presentation. It was the second uh, time for me to hear you. I met you once. Um, so I had a little bit of a different kind of question and maybe didn't pertain directly to this. Um, so it's funny. I was walking down the street the other day, and I thought to myself, uh, what was Einstein's view on God? Well, you, you kind of touched on that slightly a little bit. A uh, Jewish uh, tradition growing up, studied a lot of different philosophy at the uh, younger age of, uh, in his teens, actually. Well, anyhow, so obviously he's more or less godfather of uh, quantum uh, physics, mechanics, and stuff like that. And what, at least from what little I know, quantum mechanics, physics says that there's like, uh, you know, multiple possibilities. However, according to Einstein, he says God does not play dice. So that to me would suggest a deterministic, uh, almost fate type of a situation in the world, like, and even in your own life. Uh, I was kind of curious to share your thoughts on that because there's certain things in my life. I'm like, is this just how it is? Uh, because I can't uh, uh, describe a way out of it from pure effort or will um, without getting too convoluted. I'll kind of just stop 
there. Hopefully that's enough. If you want me to <laughs> ask a little bit more specifically, can do that too. Um, one thing, uh, have you ever read Quantum Questions by Ken Wilber? No. You know who Ken Wilber is? I do not. If you look him up on the internet, you'll find a pretty cool guy. Uh, he's, he's like, you know, he's really kind of interesting. I think he kind of got into Zen and that kind of stuff, that different perspective pretty early. I think he's from the United States, but he's into like health and everything else and bodybuilding. And, but he also was into like intellectual development in different cultures and stuff. So he's, uh, he has some stuff there, but he wrote, he did one book called quantum questions, which I highly recommend. You, you can get it. You know, I think you use copies on the internet, on the internet, uh, Amazon will have it. Uh, but what he did, he had a research assistant, and they went through all the modern, you know, founders of modern physics, de Broglie, James Jeans, Sch Schrodinger, Heisenberg, so many of them, one after another, and they called out their philosophical and, you know, mystical writings, and it's quite enlightening, you know, what their perspectives were, because at that level, they really were not just like, uh, you know, what's the word, the bench jockeys, they weren't just technicians. You know, they were actually looking at things from a broader perspective and mathematics and everything else. And, of course, Bohr and Einstein had a, a famous ongoing debate on very fundamental levels. People were calling both of them like a little more and more philosophers and physicists. You know? But that's what it is. It's a philosophy of nature. So I would say that Einstein, uh, his own, you know, he wasn't he didn't have any real grounding in some way in, in, in a broader perspective like that. Like you're saying, there was some things there investigating different intellectual traditions, uh, you know, looking at his own tradition from this, and he grew up in and how a worldview had shaped it. One, one Professor Newell, he's a guy here locally here in Tennessee. He took, we had different, a lot of different interfaith dialogues here, very good. Um, and he said one time, he said, Hanuman Swami, for most Jewish people, God is a person, but he's so great that you can never catch up with him. Like you can see his footprints, you can feel his hand and things, but he's just like, you know, there's no way that we're ever going to be able to come to that level of really knowing him, you know, except from, you know, it's accepting many traditions. You know. But anyway, so that's for most Jewish people. So that's what we would call Paramatma, you know, the hand of God and things. And, and if you want to, that, you know, hand, God can guide you with his hand to, to meet him as a person, to look into his face. And so how we're to get the analogy there, you know. So I think Einstein, they asked him one time, do you believe in God? And he said, it was very clear, it's a citation there in the book, I do not believe in a personal God. That, that may have been one moment, you know. Um, I do not believe in a personal God, but I be, believe, believe in a, a guidance, you know, in, a, in a, a personal kind of like a hand of things behind it. Just what Professor Newell was saying. And he was saying, like, more like the Indian idea of Brahman. <laughs> okay. So Brahman Paramatma. So that's what I understand. That he, he, he was at that level of accepting that there is something behind here. And that there is, you know, that, 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 that he wasn't a complete nihilist because the, uh, the Heisenberg principle was the Heisenberg principle is that uh, the boy, the uncertainty of the product of m momentum and location will always be uh, undefinable on a level of Planck's constant. <laughs> if we know the momentum of a particle or a thing. You know, which direction it's going and how much mass it has. And the more we know that, then we won't, won't be able to know, know where it is. And the more we know where it is, we won't be able to know. And you can see right away, okay, there's something there, the way the tools are using. But that's what it was. That was Planck's uh, always uncertain, uncertainty principle. And that's where Einstein was 
was saying, you know, that, that no, I don't. I believe that it was just lack of lack of this lazy thinking that we actually can figure these things out and we can know the universe, you know. So that's kind of that controversy. It's a little technical, but that's what I think. He he was on that level of of a, a Brahman, which we say the same thing. Where there's a general idea that there is somebody in control here. There is a reality. It is good. You know, maybe a little little Paramatma receiving inspiration, getting in touch with God through his prayers. You know? So that's what I would understand his his perspective. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Hare Krishna, I had a question. Ah, Matthew. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, thank you, Hanumat, for Saksami Maharaj. Uh, I was wondering uh, that uh, we were reading about, and you were explaining that this is the king of knowledge, and uh, I, I thought that the three sources that we get this are from Guru, Sadhu, and Shastra. So I'm just wondering, how can we share those sources with people that we meet? Like, uh, especially the guru one, like if we're not even initiated, haven't take, di taken Diksha yet. Uh, and someone asks us to be their spiritual master. Like what's the, what do we do? <laughs> well, we go out walking every night. You know, we, I stay kind of isolated in my cave here. Uh, I go out walking with Nitai Gorsundar Das, Dr. Ravi Prakash Singh, Dr. Desai, and uh, the guy fellow was at Bijaiji. The four of us around the neighborhood, and maybe you know, two people come out and now, and they all kind of before before it got cold at night. We got, so many people had their dogs out for walks, and we all start to say hello across the street, get to know each other. So a lot of nice things, and of course, well, what do you say to the dogs? I mean, you can't, I can't like how how do you give Guru Sahib and Shastra to the dogs? <clears throat> you kind of make friends with the uh, the people, and then the dogs begin to know you, and they want to meet people too. They're they're you know social animals. And, Really, they want to be. Yeah, they want to know people, be friendly, and establish hierarchies and stuff. So they have their idea. Once you kind of worked out who's in control of the situation here, and you know, and then the dogs, you have ways of communicating. Actually, they have their whole system of communicating. You know, so you can communicate to them. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm more of authority you than you are. You're, you're, you're more of an authority than I am. Your, your, your master is more of an authority than I am. Okay. So on different levels, we can communicate with people who. You know, who's an authority and animals in some ways can are just naturally more personal about things. You know, they're not Maya bodies and then they can accept you. They can take prasadam. They can associate with you. And the, the communication then is heart to heart at heart. They're changing. They don't know in their minds. They don't know in their, their senses, but at heart, they're becoming better, better people. The animals by taking prasadam, by hearing Krishna Kirtan, they don't understand it, but the sound vibration is pure and it enters the heart. So that's the point if it's where, how pure we are. And we don't have to be initiated. From previous lifetime, we may have been very advanced devotees, but now we took birth in a situation where, you know, we've got bad habits and stuff, and we have to you know, purify ourselves, accept the kind of body we have. But, but at heart, we can be, you know, quite pure, and we can begin to see how we can adjust our media to get the thing across. We can purify our mind and senses by giving up tobacco, giving up alcohol, substituting it with, you know, with, with what? Uh, ice cream. That's what I did. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, this is about as much pure as I'm going to get in this lifetime. And it's good enough. I, I, I know. And, I, and if somebody is ready, needs to hear from somebody more pure, more advanced, I take them to them. 
you know, very, very beautiful young college girls would come into the temple in Berkeley and I would say hello and, you know, uh, this, this is the Hakari Christian temple. Yeah, you know anything about it? I said, no, no, my friend said it's nice. I think I wanted to know somebody. Here's a book, sit down, I'll get somebody. And I go find one of the nice, uh, you know, older, you know, ladies and stuff and they would preach to them then. It was, and they were very happy with that. Oh, it's nice. You got, you know, ladies and gentlemen here, you know. Maybe I can find a nice husband here. <laughs> okay, the gentleman. Yeah. So 18,000 verses in the Bhagavatam, Chaitanya Charitamrita, and they're all describing how to communicate to different people on different levels. And so that's what it is. Basically, we just chant Hare. We can always chant Hare Krishna. We can always chant Hare Krishna, and people can hear that. Then beyond that, if we have a little understanding, we can explain what we know. You know? And then we can try and put them in touch with Prabhupada, give them a book, you know, put them in touch with people who will be able to guide them through Prabhupada's books better than we will. Or even more appropriate, like again, the ladies may look at the story of you know, Devahuti and, uh, and Kardamamuni from Devahuti's point of view. Okay. So is that some kind of help? You know, t- 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 tell people what you know? Yes. Then, I- uh, take them. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> Yeah, your your microphone, your yours muted is. There we go. Fun with grammar. Yeah, I got to watch out because Peter Medley's here, and he's a he's an English major from Berkeley. <laughs> he's also a wrestler. <laughs> Dangerous guy. Yeah, if you don't agree with him, he'll get put you in a in a West Point. <laughs> Arj, um, there was a film about a, a physicist named David Bohm who uh, studied Buddhism and he talked about sort of like nirvana as or the quantum state as being full of infinite, infinite potential. He, he was saying more like it's full, like we have the idea that of shunya, of that Buddhism is emptiness, but he was saying that a field of fullness uh, it was the goal, or something like that. Could you comment on that? Uh, David Bohm, he's a real interesting guy. He was a contemporary of Einstein, but I guess much younger. So everybody wanted to meet him because here's a guy we're seeing a guy. He's like Prabhupada. And whenever we would go anyplace, um, you know the book Religions of Man. Did you ever study that? No. It was like the most popular high school book on you know, on comparative religions. It was done by Houston Smith, and he came out it was in several editions. In the later editions, it changed from the Religions of Man to the Religions of People, so they wouldn't have you know macho you know thing on it. Um, but he came to some of our programs. You know, a very prominent guy. And very intelligent, incredible. He was at the University of Syracuse for so many years. So he told the story in one of his books that, uh, uh, you know, there were there were funds. Every department, every school, like theology and you know religious studies and physics and stuff. There was a basic grant from the university for all of them to invite special guest speakers. And so and that's all they had. Of course, the physics department had so much more money from different resources, from different grants to bring people and everything. So when it came time for him to get his money to bring his person, he decided to bring David Bohm. 
okay, this physicist. And so everybody was thinking this is kind of strange. You, you got this, it's only money you got, and you're going to bring a physicist? Why, why don't you bring some famous theologian or something? You know, he said, no, no. So the head of the Department of uh, Physics called him up and he said, hey, Houston, I, 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 it's kind of strange you're bringing David Bohm, but if you can get him here, boy, we'll, we'll, any shortage of funds to get him here, we'll, we'll help you out. We'll back you up, anything you need. So he was able to get him there. And they were surprised. So it came down to the night of his presentation. And the, the hall was completely packed, all, all 800 seats. And they had satellite television set up, and everybody was watching the whole thing. And the, uh, the physics department had captured the entire first row, all the professors. And David Bohm was sitting there. I mean, uh, the, the Houston Smith was also along with them. And he said, uh, he, David Bohm got up, and he started off, and he was sure that he lost every single person in the audience, except for the, you know, the, the professors of mathematics and the physics teachers, after about the first 15 minutes. You know, the entire board was covered with like equations and everything else and so forth and so on, you know, and, uh, but nobody left, you know, they're getting some sense of what he was talking about. And also too, you know, very impressive. So then the, uh, the head, after questions, the head of the physics department raises and he said, professor, boom, this is just fantastic, you know, what you're presenting like that. Um, but, but it seems to be more philosophy than, than mathematics and physics. And uh, and David Bohm says, I make no distinction. <laughs> and the professor, he's an assistant, said the physics professor just kind of turned to him and smiled and kind of nodded and bowed his head like that. Yeah, okay. He, he showed us a side of one of the greatest living physicists who's taught us that we should be a little bit humble about understanding philosophy that we're in our lives. And that's a big step. You know, that we really have to think about, at least think about philosophy, what to think about theology. So that's what David Bohm's thing, uh, yeah, his idea was the implicate order, that there is an order behind everything, which is so great, we'll never be, be able to figure it out. You have to be humble. We can get snatches of it like that. And so Buddhism has a perspective on it, I would say. And that's what you're saying, that Nirvana you know, his, was coming to this point of realizing unlimited potential. Which which is there and which will never. Uh, what's his name? Carl Jung was almost saying the same thing. They they all kind of coming out of the same group ethos to a large degree. That we'll never quite be able to figure it all out, but we can understand more and more, and it has so much potential. And they didn't like Buddhism as nihilism. I don't think either either Bohm or 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 Jung like Buddhism as nihilism. And it's not necessary. Yeah, yeah. Seeing it as infinite potential is also valid. Is that okay? Yes, thank you very much. Okay. <laughs> I make no distinction. Maybe I could ask one more question. Like in the Bhagavad Gita, the word nirvana appears a couple of times. And oh my God. I think at one point, Srila Prabhupada translated it as the kingdom of God or something like that. So, how do, can you comment on that? Yeah, at the end of the second chapter, of course, which is a summary of everything, it says that something about how somebody who follows this prep process uh, at the time of death, uh, he can he can go to the kingdom of God. The actual words used are Brahma Nirvana, like that. And so I think these uh, non-devotional Buddhist sects, when they heard that, they would just like 
you know, die. It was a scream and <laughs> hold their ears and suffer. Translating Brahma Nirvana as, as the kingdom of God, you know. But, but it's a Sanskrit word. You know, Buddha comes out of a whole Sanskrit tradition, everything else, you know. He never really kind of denies it exactly. And so much of their, of their, of their way of communicating and everything else, you know, comes from this, this tradition, you know, different schools. So nirvana, like I forgot radhika, I keep forgetting what it is, but nir means not, and vana doesn't mean forest, but, but, it, but it means a kind of like a cessation. It's all it's saying. It's not, not, not it's, it's just saying, cessation and cessation of what so it can very well be interpreted as cessation of material existence and most buddhists accept it as that you know most buddhists when they talk about there is no no atma they are not referring to a self they're referring to uh uh the mind and that's all they ever really deal with pretty much you know yeah. Then after that, okay, you become self-realized. Okay, you deal with it. You know? So nirvana, nirvana, nirvana. Not this, not that, not this. And then Brahma, of course, means the greatest that which is all expanding and everywhere. So I'd say that you know, Prabhupada's translation is, you know, is it's true, <laughs> but, but it's just. I mean, Prabhupada's making it. He's making it so that people will not become confused. Somebody has to just say. Prabhupada said, I explained the Bhagavad Gita so even a first-class fool could understand it. You know? So right from the very beginning, he's making it very solid. And without a doubt, you know, what, what Krishna is saying is valid. And it is going to the kingdom of God, but it's talking about it in a general sense. You know? Let's go to Europe for our vacation this summer. Well, well you know, we're going to go to Europe, yeah. But then there's a big variety between Norway and, and, and Italy. Riviera. And you know, and uh, mountain climbing in the Alps. Yeah. Okay, I make no distinction. Yeah. Thank you very much. Lalita Rada Devi Dasi has arrived. Yes, there's Lalita. Lalita is a. Some people say that Lalita is a tough cookie. <laughs> like that. Alita's a tough cookie, but she's really Krishna's friend. Like that. But Krishna has to watch out for her. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, how Hari Lila is there. Hi, Hari Lila. Hare Krishna Maharaj, I have a question. Okay. Hi, uh, I'm a fellow Big Ten alumni. I'm not a wildcat, though I'm an Illini. Okay. So um, as a physician and a neuroscientist, um, I, I'm a little concerned more recently. I've seen a, a very large politicization of science. Um, and and I've, I've never quite seen science politicized in such a way. And it's kind of frightening. Um, and I've also seen religion politicized most recently. And I'm not sure how we can rectify the two of these things. Can you speak to that? Oh. How we can rectify the politicization of both science and religion? Yes. And how we can walk on water <laughs> like exactly. that, like the moon? Exactly. My goodness, you're asking a big task of me. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I mean, the whole thing is everybody has to have a a, a world view. What are we going to call it? Even the dog. You know, even the dog is intelligent enough to under. He has his. He, she, he, or it, 
should say that encourage dogs especially. She or it have their particular, you know, view of reality. And when they're associating with human beings, they think peaceful and stuff, and they got, okay, this is my territory, and well, I got to show some social restraint here in terms of other dogs and stuff. But they're not, you know, they, they, they can have something there in terms of the reality, and another dog dies, they have their social hierarchy. They t- and dogs, of course, dogs marry for life, you know, right? You know this, especially if Siberia was huskies and stuff. It's finished, they're monogamous. Yeah, wolves, I've just heard that if, if some wolf has illicit sex, if some wolf engages in adulterous relationships with another wolf's wives, the rest of them will kill him. You know, they could get carried away and twist chimpanzees. So ma- mammals, especially, but other species too, you know, there's some philosophy of life, some perspective like that. So some people, usually po- politic, polite, civilized, it means city. So if people come to this level, you know, above existing, like, uh, what do you call it? We start off just like, like amoeba. It's called anamaya. The baby just sucks his mother's, mother's breast. And it's just like, you know, eat, sleep, dream. And, uh, and human beings, we develop the next stage. This is Carl or Maslow, right? It's just something the same way. Uh, anamaya, then pranamaya, where we begin to realize, oh, I am this body. You know, the terrible two, right? And then cut cut the hair or flush the, the feces down the toilet. Then boy, boy, it's World War Three, you know. Until you begin to realize the boundaries and okay, my hair hair can be detached, my clothes can be detached. This is my and so then after that, pranamaya, life, air, which animals come to that. The next is a, a manomaya, and this is where human life really begins to distinguish itself from animal life. But animals also form mental conceptions of what's right and what's wrong. And especially animals like chimpanzees and human humanoids, you know, and they're appreciating this. There's ban on, on ban on experimental, uh, you know, sacrifice of animals. You know, of course, for neurophysiology, you can no longer use dog brains or no longer use chimpanzee brains, right. or what's the other ones? Rhesus brains, you know. Monkeys, it's, a, yeah. it's a challenge, you know. But that's the saying. Hey, we're beginning to realize that these are people, and I know. I know neurophysiologists who had that realization they couldn't do it anymore. So they realized, my God, these are people. You know? It's simple, but they love each other. They make uh, social uh, standards. They establish boundaries. You know? And they pass on traditions. Okay, hey. You know? So then the, that's, that's the political level. You know? And so behind it is, 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 is hedonism, egoism, the higher self, you know. Or something else like that, because we're not. We're, it's, it's science, science, and religion, in some ways, both have to be politicized for most people. You know? Most people go to a church. They live in a society. I live in Nashville. It's the, by this, you know, there are more churches in Nashville than any, any other place in the face of the earth, except for the Vatican, per square mile. And people here are very religious. You know, in California, they're more spiritual, but in Nashville, they're more religious. In California, where I came from, they understand the philosophically these principles a little better, but they don't always do it. In Nashville, they may not, that's just a highly intellectual thing, but hey, you know, they, that's why I'm almost crying here. Sometimes the people here just say, break your heart with how sincere they are about applying the basic principles, you know? Yeah. And so, in different perspectives like that. So, it's, it's, I wouldn't say it's, it's wrong politicizing. Uh, what do you call it? Science, but in proportion. 
science should be aimed at doing good things for certain people. One study, sociological science, a study showed maybe 20 years ago, that uh, science and, tech, and science technology, which was taken from it, benefited most white, middle-aged males. Okay. I would say now with the growth of feminism, which we, we understand in Kali Yuga is quite natural, uh, it's changing, you know. But, but there has to be behind it all. You, you love. You're doing it for somebody. Who are you working for? Of course, a lot of science is based for the military. A lot of science is based for capitalists. You know? And so that's the question of not politicizing it, I would say, but understanding uh, having healthy politics, healthy political science. It's a whole other thing. And right away, we see that science cannot deal with this very well. But the, but the Vedas give a very, very good idea of our Ashram about you know, political science and how to deal with by, uh, the capitalists and laborers, men and women, you know, nationalism, you know, racism. Very nice idea. And so that's what I saying, introducing these ideas. And there's so many ways to introduce it, like other, other devotee was asking, 18,000 verses on how to introduce it. You know? Yeah, I could go on forever for a long time. Is that, is that what, you're, kind of what you're asking? Is that a, a yes, question? yes. Yes, indeed. Thank okay. you. Dr. Jariwala, he's a fellow who was in our community in San Jose. Uh, he worked with, he, he used to work as, uh, you know, in the, he was a PhD in chemistry. He used to work in uh, Linus Pauling's um, Institute there, but in Indian. So gradually he got more, he came because it was an Indian church, Hare Krishna, and he came in. Then actually he became more and more involved in appreciating you know, the philosophical perspective of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Never had such a, you know, strong philosophical presentation and so on and systematic from his tradition was more general and so finally he even got initiated his initiated devotee has gone and uh at some point he started like he changed he quickly he worked until finally he was working for a german pharmaceutical company which used all organic uh resources and did a lot of pro bono work in third world countries with, with vitamins and stuff you know and so it really changed into much more more to goodness work in science and then him about five more of his associates we're starting to write up articles and submit them to referee journals. And he said he got the shock of his life that they would not accept them. And he said it was completely obviously for political reasons that these would have, you know, would have been contrary to the big pharmaceutical companies and their, and their profit and stuff like that and so on. And he said he never realized before, like, you know, how much, you know, there, there was this, you know, stimulated by pure hedonism for the benefit of a few people like that. Oh, absolutely. Not absolutely. Yeah. I've had the same experience. Yeah. These super hotel, or a town car picture of the airport, in San Francisco. Unbelievable. The opulence of these places in terms of material gratification is just. You ever go, go see, you know, $800 a night, you know, but oh, you're up in the stars. <laughs> <laughs> and you had mentioned Ken yeah. Wilbur before. I, I want to mention that um, Ken Wilbur is a wonderful guy, and I love his book, A Brief History of Everything. Uh, I, I would strongly recommend that to anybody who's interested in reading uh, Quantum Questions and, and um, Ken Wilbur. It's fantastic. Came over lifts weights. <laughs> I don't work really, out a bit. 
he's a really oh yes he he's really that kind of like all-around guy he's like good health physical guy he's kind of like you know i think you have a hard a little maybe a little bit of a hard time christian cautious you know he's proud he's proud person he's, he's proud he's proud of being healthy he's proud of being he's proud of being humble i think i think he's proud of being humble some people are very he's a little more honest and I, you know, <laughs> i'm better than you when How is your fruit tree? Sorry, Leo didn't say anything. Charles D. Lind. It's like a statue in the wax museum. It will all be statues in the wax museum sometime. 500 years from now, they'll remember us and they'll say that uh, Sarvabhoma uh, Devi Dasi and Hanuma Prashad Devi Dasi were great founders of the Krishna consciousness movement in Houston. <laughs> they worked together. They were two very, very chaste modigees and <laughs> like that. <laughs> we'll be remembered maybe for something. Yeah. Maybe your dolphin book will take off at some point. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Uh, we, we're going to maybe uh, have another program here, kind of 8.15, so maybe we'll be shuffling off our mortal coil here as far as the um, and our program here goes. But this is so nice, you know, participating and seeing everybody. And maybe, who knows? You know, so this is it. Chahari Krishna, we're all packed up together. And gradually, actually, we start making uh, working together. We have our own website, www.jayarama.us. And we're, we're still maintaining these things. This is where, this is our last year. We're giving up our, uh, uh, you know, all of our kind of work, formal work with administration, the Latin American GBC, the Ministry of Education. And we're telling them we'll be around as advisors, but we're not going to take up any more projects, not going to stuff anymore. You know? And then actually we're looking, it's a very, very good estimation. We'll be leaving our body uh, about to, uh, 2024. We all got a plan. Uh, Prithu Das and I are going to share a taxi. Like that, I got it booked, <laughs> and so I can see my teeth are falling out, my memory's going, and everything else, you know. But I'm becoming more intelligent, right? Right, Sarabhoma, we're becoming more intelligent. <laughs> you always were intelligent. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. I can't tell if I'm having ecstasy or if I'm becoming senile. Yeah. One of the two is happening. I'll <laughs> be <Probably> both. <laughs> Winston, where are you from? Where's your family from? Philippines. Um, parents are, are from Taiwan, Maharaj. Taiwan. That's almost the name of the Philippines. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and I was born in Jersey. So. <laughs> I'm, from, I'm from Guam. In my last lifetime, I was a Chinese-Mexican monk. <laughs> I love Chinese. I love, I love Sun Wukong, you know. Sun okay. Wukong. You know. Uh-huh. Jackie Chan. Bruce Lee. Uh, what's his name? Donnie Yen. <laughs> Everybody. Mm-hmm. I like Mexican food. <laughs> okay, so thank you all very much. Hari Bo, Hari Krishna. Thank you so much, Maharaj. Mm-hmm. Hari Krishna. It's great, great seeing you again.